Zapier makes you happier. Welcome to episode 319 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. In today's show, I'm talking to Brian Helmig, CTO and co-founder of Zapier. Well, Brian, um, hello, and uh, thanks for joining us on Texting. Yeah. Um, it's great to talk to you. Yeah, it's wonderful. Thank you for having me. Oh, no worries, no worries. So I was super interested in your story. Um, I know you guys reached out to uh, be interviewed on on Texting, and you know, we, we actually don't interview very many people anymore, except for very special cases. And um, I, I sent you information about the, the project I'm working on, which is the Nugget Startup Academy. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm sort of helping founders get from zero to something. And I was super interested in, in your, by bootstrapping especially. Mm-hmm. So what I was super interested in about in your story is that, that part of it. And I'd really like to dig into that part of uh, the, the Zapier story. But also, um, super interested in in founders, um, basically the stair stepping of founders, getting from zero to a thousand dollars a month to ten thousand dollars a month. So also in- really interested in looking at this from uh, the perspective of you as a founder, as well as you starting Zapier. Gotcha. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be fun. Yeah. So, um, well, I guess uh, just just to get started, like, how did you get started in, I guess, computers and startups and that whole scene? I mean, I was like your classic like high school nerd. I was like kind of a band nerd and music nerd and computer nerd and video game nerd and all that stuff. Um, and it was never I, like I wasn't one of those like actually my one of my co-founders, Mike, was he he would be doing all this like assembly programming on his calculator and all this crazy stuff. Like I never really did that, but I was building websites. Um, a lot of HTML, CSS through like like late years of high school and then into college and then figuring out how to build and run these things and just literally got like addicted to like where you, I don't know if you get the same thing where you just get into a state of flow and it's like 4 a.m. and you're like, I've got class in like three hours and I'm still like working and building this thing. And it was just so fun. Um, so it was like stuff like that that really got me into it. But my path to it was always just tech and like music and home recording and like neat like dsp stuff and effect like all that like technical uh kind of like stuff was always uh what preceded that um and then getting into actual coding it was always through uh wanting to build something and kind of take it to uh the next kind of like layer of sophistication and maybe get in front of users and get them using it and hear what they have. Like it was all kind of uh, a part of that that brought me kind of on that journey uh, to it. But yeah, I mean, I I wasn't trained like as an engineer. I didn't go to school for like software engineering or IT or anything. So in the first place, were you, did you sort of help other people out, build websites for them? Um, did you even maybe earn any cash building websites for people in the, in the early days? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of a classic, like WordPress site, spinning those up. Um, we did a, like a couple custom things. In fact, Wade and I did quite a bit uh, of that stuff together. And it was always like, it was always kind of the same thing, but slightly different. It's like, so I want to have a form, but I want it to go to MailChimp. And then you'll talk to mm-hmm. the next client and they're like, oh, I, I want a form, but we don't we, we don't use MailChimp. We use at that time like Aweber um, or we'll use this or that or 
maybe it was like Wufu that powered the form, or maybe nowadays it would be like Typeform, a lot of people using Typeform. And that was kind of what got us going, hmm, interesting, like where you feel like you're writing the same thing over and over again, but there's yeah. like this central nugget that's like common. Um, so that that's kind of what even like got us into like Zapier, right? Um, so so was was Zapier your very first sort of project or was, was there no. other stuff, other little ideas that you had? And I'd love to hear about some of those. Oh gosh, so many. I, I've actually been meaning to, meaning to write a blog post of the dozen or so failed and I'll say startups, they were definitely, they were projects. I think you use the word project. That's a better way to look yeah. at it. Um, they were all over the place. I mentioned I was into music. So I made this site called Let's Jam, which was the idea is you could layer, like you could upload a, a bass track, like a foundational track, I should say. Maybe it's like a drum beat or you playing to a click track or something. And then people could come on and add that and remix that. And you could build like a track, like as a community. Um, that was one of the first things I built. Um, I did guitar lessons online for a long time. You can actually probably still find them on YouTube. <laughs> all that, all that earlier stuff that you did, that project that you, you just said yeah. that project grave project graveyard of twelve projects. Yeah. How did you plan on sort of you know marketing that and getting out to the world, or, or were you even thinking about that at that time? At that time, I wasn't thinking about it, and I think that was that was a big reason why they didn't work super great. Like they were cool and I had a lot of fun and I learned a lot like building them. Um, but they didn't, they didn't find that kind of critical mass, um, of users to kind of grow and self-sustain. Um, maybe the one that got the closest, I did like kind of a digital download pay for digital download kind of a thing, which was like, I guess Gumroad does this now. Um, at the time, it was Payloads was doing it a mm -hmm. bunch. But what I had created was called BitBuffet. And that probably got the most successful of the <laughs> graveyard of startups or projects, I should say. Um, and that was even like only up to like, you know, eight or nine hundred dollars a month, which is pretty significant. Like, hey, it paid for, you know, rent and beer. And that's 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 huge. That's that huge. So how regularly did you did you do these side projects? Like what what what, what sort of sort of cadence are we talking about? It was, oh, geez, like I'd have to, I bet you I could go look, but I feel <laughs> like it was, it was like a new, and this is maybe part of the problem too. Uh, every like couple months I was working on a new thing, right? Like starting mm -hmm. on something new. And if it didn't kind of like, just like, you know, spark up, I would, I had a million other ideas I was going to try. Cause I was like building stuff. And I, and to be honest, I loved the building aspect of it. So like, that was where my my brain, like, I was like, okay, I'm, I kind of feel like I'm done building this. Like, now it's time to build the next thing was probably a bit mm -hmm. of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was probably on the order of some of them were probably as short as a few weeks. Some of them went maybe a couple months, uh, but it was constantly like new ones up and up and up and up. So the $800 a month one, I'm really interested. Um, why didn't you stick with that? Why didn't you grow that into a multi-million dollar business? Why did you decide, okay, I need to move away from that? The short pithy answer is Zapier came along, right? Um, but, you know, I think, it, I mean, Gumroad has built a pretty solid business. I think it's a, it's a kind of a very, it's not really niche. It's just a very kind of small-ish market because you could see the writing on the wall of all the apps that were being distributed were going to like walled gardens of like iOS and like the, I mean, if you look at the Mac OS store, the Google play store, um, all that stuff was kind of like, like slurping up all the software you'd buy, which was a classic digital download. 
And then the music was a common thing we were doing. Um, people selling like tracks, but that was getting slurped up by like the Spotify's and the iTunes and that stuff. So it was just like shrinking the thing that would matter. So I, I didn't see personally like a massive like opportunity there. Um, but I thought it could be a great lifestyle thing. Um, so, so many questions. So, okay. Uh, so you, you were, you didn't see uh, an opportunity above a lifestyle thing. So, uh, why did you want something above a lifestyle thing is, is I guess, uh, my first question there. A couple things. I, I love building stuff. Um, and once you kind of get into, and maybe this isn't true for a lot of things, cause it's not like, I think doing like a lifestyle business sounds like a lot of fun, but it feels like also you kind of build something and then you kind of like maintain it a little bit. And that, I think that idea of just kind of maintaining it kind of wasn't exciting. You know what I mean? Like, cause that was what kind of got me off of those projects before. So it was that, and I wanted it to, I wanted it to really be something, you know, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of users could potentially use, um, which, you know, very rarely can you do that and then have like kind of a lifestyle business. And I, I want to be really clear that like I say lifestyle business is not something that's like derogatory. Like I think it's amazing. Mm -hmm. I, it just like the characteristics of that were not as like exciting. Like I, it, it, they just didn't like click with me and hit those dopamine sensors inside my brain. So did you use the, the $800 a month that that was uh, creating? Did you use that as some kind of stepping stone <laughs> to move onto the Zapier? Zap Zapier. Zapier. Yeah. Yeah. Zapier <laughs> makes you happier. Um, <laughs> we, a little bit, but you know what? Th that's not, Having capital to do an internet business is not a thing you need now. If you've got, yeah. if you can afford 50 bucks a month, you can cover everything and build, you can build, I mean, off of a 50 bucks a month, like you can build a business that pulls in a million bucks a year. Easy. <laughs> no problem. Um, so it was never really that. It was, it was getting the right people. It was getting like the right like idea and then just kind of like, getting like heads down and building, building, building. That was always like the critical path for it. Okay, so so let's get into into Zapier uh, that makes you happier. Um, <laughs> let's let's get into that. So from, from a timeline perspective, I'm just gonna put a, a flag in the sand, which is yeah. you, start, you, you started developing Zapier, you guys decided this is an idea, we're gonna move forward. Okay, now move back like six months. How did you go, how did you get to a team? How did you get to a decision? How did you get there? Um, yeah, so Zapier got started in late 2011. So rewind that by, you know, six months. So I was working with Wade and we had talked about that and I knew Mike, um, through like the community, um, just kind of, of like hackers and nerds in Columbia, Missouri is where we were. Um, mm -hmm. awesome, awesome place to be. I really like Columbia, but it was a pretty small like scene. So like you kind of knew everyone. So <laughs> we, we knew each other. And we kind of wanted to do something together and we were always like bouncing off ideas and Wade and I were working together a bit and Wade and I played music together and uh, Mike and I would grab beers pretty often. But Startup Weekend is actually what came up and kind of gave us like that spark to like, hey, let's get together and do this. And one of the things that we that I, that I ended up pitching was this thing called API Mixer. Um, that was literally <laughs> what I called it on the stage of pitching. Nice. And that was really that was kind of what, I mean, it was all of that leading into that, but that was kind of the spark that really got us started on Zapier. Um, it was API Mixer, and then we called it Snappier. Um, and then 
uh, we changed it to Zapier from Snapier. Um, so yeah, that was kind of that was kind of the lead up into us really getting started uh, at the very beginning of Zapier. Were you thinking about self-funding, or were you thinking about funding? Uh, what what were you what were your thoughts on along those lines? A hundred percent self-funding. Like that was where our brain was, and that was really useful because in the early days, if you you know, if, if you need capital to build your business, that's fine. But if you don't have the capital, someone else will be the one that tells you if you get to do this, right? Like, you'll say, like, will you give me money? And if they say no, you're like, well, crap. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but so our brain, our brains were always like, well, we're going to, we're going to do this either way. So let's just get started on it. And the way that we, you know, and I'm sure you'll probably want to get into some of this stuff, but a lot of what we were thinking about was, how do we get in front of the customers? Because again, like this is based off of a lot of, you know, my, certainly my experiences of, I just built a bunch of stuff and I didn't spend any time that really that much on reaching out to customers or thinking about how customers are going to find us. Or, you know, if you build it, they will not come. Um, yes, right. Exactly. Yeah. So the, the, the thinking was like, okay, let's start there. Let's start like, how are people going to find us? How are people going to like connect with what we provide? Um, and like, how are we going to like verify that they, they give a damn, right? So that was really where we started uh, from really day one. Like some of the first things we built were around that. And were you thinking about charging? Because something I see a lot is people think, okay, I'm just going to do this thing for free and then I'm going to yeah. work out how to monetize. So what were you thinking at the beginning? We were, we 100%, I mean, a funny story is we we literally, like when we, when we created the first couple like connections and the verse very crude and you can look, I mean, it's on the internet. You can see these crappy screenshots of the first stuff we built. Um, mm. the, the first thing we did was we want to get in front of users that want to actually use it. And actually, Andrew Warner was one of our first customers, uh, funny enough, because he was doing something mm. with Aweber and uh, I forget what it was. But we were like, hey, we got exactly that. And Andrew's like, that's amazing. And then Wade turns to me. He's like, so we need to build this. <laughs> so like literally like we'd build it like that night and it would plug into the system, which we kind of already had. Um, so that would get, those would get our first like engaged like customers, um, to just kind of confirm like, okay, we're on the right path with the product past that first 10 or 15 people who are really like, like, like just loving what we were building. We were like, okay, let's figure out how the next 100, next 1000 customers come in. We can't personally like, you know, send them a tweet and build them the thing, you know, uh, uh, you know just for them so that was, i just want to rewind yeah just, wanna, just one sec one sec you're a bunch of guys who don't have anything who, who don't have any product out there how how are you talking to andrew warner who's like twitter a pretty successful person <laughs> yeah okay so you just so you just reached out and you just yeah. sent it to the message to him and said hey do you yeah, need we, i mean what did you what, what did the tweets say we i mean we were stalk we were just kind of stalking around like forums around like twitter around people who were complaining about software basically and when we saw that, we were like, well, is that something like an integration could solve? And if so, we'd be like, we'd often be like, hey, we got exactly what you want. Um, and then Wade was doing all this and Wade would turn to me and Mike and be like, quick, we need to build this. <laughs> so it'd be stuff <laughs> like that. Um, but it worked for us because like at that, we kind of had built this, the, the, the engine and the work, like for us, we call it like the workflow engine. We like the central thing we built first. And then it was just building like these plugins and these ways to like interface into it. So that was what we were kind of building ourselves 
per customer like feedback. So it was constant cycle of, we, I mean, we basically never built a connector that a customer didn't want to pay for or use immediately, right? So there's like no wasted time. So your first 10 customers you got by basically yeah. looking at the internet, seeing what problems people had and uh, literally yeah. reaching and out I, to them and saying, I've got this for you. Yeah, and I would call those like the first, you know, 10 unaffiliated customers. Cause like your friends will use it, but they're kind of using it because they like you, <laughs> you know, not because they like the product. Like you got to find anonymous people that could not give a crap about you. And then the product stands on its own, right? So like you almost like you should, you should remove friends and family and buddies or whatever from like your user accounts in the early days. Um, so that's, I mean, that was, that was really like the first, the first things we built were to please, you know, our first like unaffiliated customers, right? So then, so then you've got these 10 customers that you've, you've kind of won them one by one, yeah. painfully won them over one by one. Are you in a dialogue with these customers? How is that dialogue happening? How are you learning from them? I mean, we were, it's funny, Mike actually built this thing, and now there's a startup that does it called Full Story, which is cool, you should check them out, um, that kind of like scrape the DOM and we could watch people using our product. It would like replay, it would scrape and diff the DOM and like replay it and you'd watch them using this product. And we, it was really janky, but it was awesome because we were able to like, we were able to just kind of like watch people. You could, it's so funny, like you watch people like with their mouse moving around and they'd click on and they'd try to click on something and they'd get confused. You'd see them like go back a screen and click on something else. And you could just feel their confusion um, and their frustrations. So we were using things like that to have a dialogue with our customers, even if we weren't talking to them, um, which was really, really useful. Um, you know, one of the things we, one of the first things we did, we, we were building these kind of landing pages people were landing on. And you want to, I mean, for us, we just wanted to make sure that people had enough of a pain to pay for the thing that we had. Like before we even had a conversation with them, like we wanted to really optimize like the caloric content of our user base and who we were talking to. So we like literally gated, like, like again, we have exactly what you want. Sign up for the beta here, um, and then you'd be at the end of the line kind of a thing. Or you could pay a buck or $5 to go to the front of the line. And then at that point, now it was a system that was like, hey, Brian, Mike, build this quick um, <laughs> kind of a thing. So we were, we, were, we were making people pay to get a product that it, it could exist in short order, um, and we knew it could, so we didn't feel bad about it, and we built it immediately. So you're basically pre, so you're pre-selling, right? So so talk to me about these landing pages. What kind of thing did they say, and how did you get traffic to them, and how did they then feed into the rest of the product? It kind of connected a little bit to what a lot of what Wade was doing around like like reaching out on Twitter, on like these forums. Like for us, it was, you know, think of. Uh, um, we were doing integrations for like Dropbox say, right? So Dropbox had like a user forum where people would go and generally complain or ask about how to do things in Dropbox. And we would go on there and we would look for threads where people were like, you know what, it'd be really cool that whenever I up, you know, up, uh, uploaded a file, if you guys did this, or you guys then did that. Um, and we would drop like links in there and be like, hey, it's funny you guys mentioned that we are building this exact thing. Come check out these Dropbox integrations, for example, right? Um, and we would do that just all over the place and just try to get in front of the people who cared about the thing we were building or had like a high propensity to care about it. Um, 
and then from there, then it would like, yeah, it would go to, through the normal sign up and we'd make people pay to make sure they cared about it. So we were getting no fluff and no like tire kickers at that point. Like we were getting like really high quality intent um, in the early days. This is so aligned with with what uh, we're teaching in the Nugget Startup Academy. This is awesome. I'm I'm like even happier that we're you know that we're talking to each other now after hearing this this uh, the birthing story here. So that you got the landing pages. Now, were you doing things like um, A/B testing with those landing pages, or were you just not really. sort of doing no, not multiple really. landing pages? A/B testing is great when you have a lot of users. We didn't have yeah. enough traffic, so like if you're doing mm-hmm. A/B testing before you have a thousand users, like you're wasting your time, like most likely, like maybe there, there's probably a, there's probably counter examples to that. I'm sure there are. But for us, like we, that time you spent building that AB test to give you like a 10% lift on your landing page that a thousand people saw could have been spent finding an extra hundred people, <laughs> 200 people to see that landing page. I'm assuming that let's say you, you had four different landing pages, the four different messages, right? That, like that spoke in four different ways, and then for each one of those landing pages, you brought you you picked a, a group of people to to try and get the right people to that landing page. Is that correct? If you're looking at it that way, we had a single, basically like a single landing page that was okay. templated to be dynamic. So whatever app you're interested Got it. in, right? Got like it. you, it would like it was still the same landing page. It would just show a different logo um, or a different like blurb about connecting these things together, right? So it was customized, but. We weren't thinking of them as multiple landing pages. We were just thinking of them as like, like this is going to speak to the customer the best and putting dynamic content in there obviously makes sense. So each customer who lands there, so you, you pull a customer from a, a forum about Salesforce mm-hmm. or something like that, and the yeah. landing page is going to talk to them about Salesforce. It's one landing yeah. page. Yeah. It's dynamic. But you're you're fortunate in that your product is a sort of boil the ocean type of product where you can do that. Yep. Um, fortunate which or is actually unfortunate. Un- unfortunate. On your yeah. It's, it's no. It's it, generally speaking, it is quite. It's, it's it's extremely difficult to grow that kind of product. So that you know you deserve extra kudos for doing that. I, I guess from a validation point of view, as soon as you got Andrew Warner, you're like, okay, this is validated. Well, kind of. Um, that was like a cool, like, like because we were Andrew Warner fans. He's great. Um, mm-hmm. The the thing that we did next around validation really revolved around can we get people to pay us for this? Like, I think I think we made I think we even made Andrew pay us a hundred bucks. Like, he just like PayPal'd us like a hundred bucks to get access, and mm-hmm. we did that pretty common for the first like dozen people that we got in, um, and then we. Over over time, instead of it literally being like this personal connect, not personal connection, but this this like higher touch thing in the early days, you know, things that don't scale sort of a thing. That's when we kind of like converted to this like landing page that would charge you. I think it was like five bucks um, to get in, and then it was like free once you got in, or like a buck or something. Basically, the idea was like just put that credit card in front of them and make them like say no to us. Because what they don't, what they have in their terms of like problems doesn't elevate to a point where they're even willing to break out the credit card, right? Because from the very yeah. early, we were like, if, for example, if you want to, if you want to bootstrap or self fund, like doing a consumer product that's like freemium is very difficult, right? Like we wanted to go straight to like small, medium businesses. And we're very lucky that that's, that's where we still mostly are today. And we do a little bit more upmarket stuff now as well. But that's very much been kind of our sweet spot. Um, but that was intentional from the early days because businesses, they look at that and they're like, 
you know, five bucks to like get in and try something like no problem. Like I pay more than that on coffee. Like it just doesn't matter to them. Um, so to us, that was like a very like cognizant choice of like, okay, we're going for business apps. We're going for business use cases. We're trying to really focus on customers that would be willing to pay for this. Um, so that the self-funding story is realistic. Um, and we did that from the very, very beginning. And five bucks is a super low price point. So you are, so as you say, you're sort of validating that they're getting their credit card out of their pocket. Yep, mostly. But, but at the same time, it's a really low barrier yeah. you know, f- from a price point of view. What was your thinking at that time about where, we, forget about where you are today, but at that time when yeah. you're running those $5 tests, what was your thinking about where your price point might go? What were your kind of goals? We, I mean, we knew $5 was pretty low, but most people who start, certainly start charging for products and we fell in this trap too. Certainly your instinct is, you know what? I'm going to price it so low. Like I'm going to price it so low that people will have, like, it'll be, it'll be like a no brainer for them when in fact, that's like often not the optimal strategy at all. Like the difference between someone paying like a buck, right? And 20 bucks, if you're a business, like it's almost a joke to pay a dollar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like right, looking back right. on it, it's like a joke. Like I'm going to trust this company that charges me a dollar to run my business <laughs> processes. Like what? Right. Like, so it's kind of a little bit silly looking back on it. Um, in our first pricing plan, I, I remember this, we argued like, what should we price it at? And we decided on the Fibonacci sequence. It was $11 for the first plan, $23 for the next plan up and $58 um, for the highest plan, that was our pricing plan, um, because we just couldn't decide. And at a certain point, that's a like just making a call and making people pay for it's much better than you know the alternative of just not making the call. But like looking back, like I know we definitely underpriced um, for sure um, what we were providing in terms of value to customers. And of course, um, looking back to your example of one dollar versus twenty dollars, which is an incredible example because it basically takes the same amount of effort to win one customer. <laughs> yeah. So basically, you're, you're earning $1 from one customer when you could earn 20x that by charging $20. And, I know. You know, the same, the same principle, you know, goes up. So what, whatever you can get. But, but the thing is, you know, one thing that I really do agree with is when you first release a product, you don't want to go too high because you can't just be this kind of, I don't know, blustering peacock going out there and no. like, we're going to charge $200, you know, you sort of need to start low and then just gradually work your way up. So, which is kind of what you've done. So, you know, in my view, that's kind of perfect. Um, so I'm curious, what is the, what are the plans and pricing now? How, how does that look? Yeah. So the plans and pricing, we've evolved quite a bit. Um, you know, we have, we're doing a better job of kind of segmenting across like more like casual users, productivity, like mindset folks, more pro users who are maybe running their own kind of like consulting agency style thing. And then really up to like teams, right. That are doing more of that. So if you look at the team side, for example, nowadays, like it starts at like 250 bucks a month. Right. Um, but that gets you some seat that gets you, um, you know, where you can invite m- many of your, many of your teammates in that gives you a lot of zaps, a lot of like usage out of that. Um, which is really, really, really valuable um, to like share because like often if you got a team, someone leaves, like you can't like have your business automation just go away and be locked up uh, as a result of that. So we found that that's like really, really valuable. But that's one of those things like we certainly didn't know about that in the early days, like this was going to be like super valuable. We weren't thinking about that. 
it was through years of like iteration and seeing how customers were dealing with it and the businesses were struggling. Like I just had someone leave and I don't know how to get into my Zapier account. Like, please help me. After, you know, a couple hundred of those tickets, <laughs> it finally got through our thick skulls that we need to do something on that side. So it's definitely evolved, not just on the pricing points, but on like the messaging of like who can get value out of it and who should opt in to different like segments uh, of the pricing and the different plans we have. So that's the thing that we've gotten a lot more sophisticated on and we can we could do a lot better at too. So as we've spoken, your, your initial plan was to self-fund, but of course the world isn't black and white and uh, obviously something changed and somehow you've uh, moved away from self-funding into the world of uh, funding and I'd love to hear about how that came about, how did that precipitate and what's your guys' view on that now? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're ultimate like we're, we're pragmatists, like through and through, like, so we're, we're not, as you say, it's like nothing's black and white. We're, we never say never about stuff. We, we certainly have like inclinations and our inclination was more towards self-funding and profitability. And that's never changed. Like it's a good idea to have a business that uh, throws off margins because those are important to keeping a business afloat. So we really believe in that. Um, but we, I mean, we, we went through Y Combinator in the summer of uh, 2012, we, we applied twice. They rejected us the first time, um, but we got in the second time. And at the end of that, it was like clear, like, okay, we got to start scaling up. And at that time we weren't really profitable. Like we were, we were doing okay ish, but we wanted to hire, you know, three or four people to start handling support and start building more of the products. What so, was your n number of customers and monthly revenue at that time? Oh, I'd have to go look, but it was like, it was like a couple thousand a bucks. Bullpup. Yeah. Yeah. A couple thousand bucks. Right. Got it. Yeah. Um, which you could probably, I mean, you could survive on in mm -hmm. the Midwest, but in the Bay area, you can't. Um, but, and I mean, this kind of gets into remote a little bit, like our friends were back in the Midwest. Like those are the ones we wanted to hire the people we trusted and we knew. Um, and we didn't want to be like, Hey, come join us. Maybe we can pay you, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah, right. So at that point, it wasn't clear where we were going in terms of like trajectory yet. Um, so at the end of the summer of 2012, we raised one, a little over a million dollars, um, which was great. I mean, it was. This is after YC. So, after so YC. this would. Yep. And, so basically, that do you think that would have been possible without going through YC? No, it would have been a lot more difficult. So like YC, YC is great. Like if you need to raise money in a pinch, like YC can really help you do that. And YC was great for, I mean, like the community you get, like there's a lot of really cool stuff that happens as a result. But like, you know, and I know you're doing kind of an accelerator as well. Like the, that community, that kind of like having other people like interested and excited for what you're doing and kind of feeling like, like oh, I want to show them what I did. Like that's really like valuable. But at the end, like we, they do like a demo day and, there's lots of like, you know, VCs there and um, the opportunity was there. We wanted to hire people we couldn't afford. So like at that point, it was like it was kind of a little bit of a, a no brainer to go. And um, so we ended up doing that. But that was the last time we raised. And that was what is it like six years ago? Right. Um, so we haven't raised since then. And we got profitable somewhere in I'm going to say t late 2013 or 2014. Does the I mean was the was the VC or the, the the group of VCs who who invested in you were they expecting the typical hyper growth model when they invested or were they or would would they already know your sort of guys's viewpoint of we want to be profitable and we don't really want to do more raising? Well, we were I mean we were really we were really lucky of course a bunch where but um, fortunate that 
we eventually did get to profitability and the product like clicked and it started to really grow and it's, you know, we've been pretty successful since then. Um, so they're all very happy, of course, but it was also seed stage level stuff, right? So, you know, for them, it was kind of a bet and it's, you know, a good bet, but like a bet at that time. Um, it was still early enough. We still like, like it wasn't a lot of that kind of complexity you get with like, uh, raising capital and having, being on kind of the treadmill of VC, like Mm -hmm. that is where a lot of the tropes and all the kind of control stuff really starts to come into play for us. We didn't have as much of that. Like we've been successful. We've been really fortunate. Um, the product has clicked with customers and that in and of itself is like the, the end, end all be all. Um, plus we don't need to raise again. Like it's all, it's all like kind of controls in our court, so to say. You, um, you've, you've got, that's right. You've, you've got the control. You were able to get to profitability and, um, you're, you're sort of not on this like, um, hyper growth, this, this sort of VC path where every round funds the next round, funds right. the next round kind yep. of, yeah, exactly. which is, which is great. And so, um, Oh, um, Alex McCaw's done that with, I can't remember the name of it, it's Clearbit. Um, and there, yep. you know, there's a few there's a few startups that are doing this, and this seems to be the kind of emerging thing. And I wonder if part of the reason is what you said at the beginning of the show, which is, you know, you, you can run a business with 50 bucks. Now, I doubt that you're running Zapier with 50 bucks, no. by the way. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> um, I'm imagining it's probably pretty pretty distributed. Actually, you know what? I'd love to hear about the architecture. That would be, I mean, as from one CTO to another, I'd love to hear about basic tech you're using yeah yeah i mean it's i mean we're on aws we do kind of the standard horizontal scaling stuff i mean we use a lot right. of message queues to like push things from around from one to the other and like our like for us like we i mean we let people build arbitrary workflows so it could have two steps or it could have 30 steps and each of those mm -hmm. can talk to some crazy api that may or may not be up or down or like there's just so many things i mean we joke that we're like an edge case catching machine for the internet. So like a lot of the architecture goes to recovering from those edges and like handling them gracefully um, so that users can have like a reliable workflow. Um, so there's a lot of things as you can imagine of us like doing retries or doing back offs and like monitoring APIs. So there's a ton of that in our architecture. Um, the uh, the stuff that we do, we do a lot of like polling, we do a lot of web hooks that ingest. So we have lots of kind of systems for that. And you can kind of think of it as like, you know, a pipeline or an ETL for all the things we do for customers, but customers are the ones that are building them. And sometimes they do crazy things. They do awesome things and cool <laughs> things. So you kind of have to account for those, uh, those like, uh, spikes in, uh, certainly load, but also I'll say like novelty of like the kinds of things that are happening. Um, so we have a ton of like architecture around that. Okay. So just moving back to YC, how many people, how many of you guys went to YC? Uh, was it, was it three of you? Was yeah, it's it? three. Yeah. So Wade, Mike and myself. Yeah. And so what was the, the nuts and bolts of the YC experience? Like technically how did it work? Yeah. So we did, uh, they do like a dinner like every Tuesday night um, where they'll have like a guest and it's usually like a pretty like beefy guest. Like I think we had like the Airbnb founders. We had, um, oh geez, I'd have to go back and look, but like it was just a bunch of like pretty like awesome folks come and they talk and then they did like an AMA thing at the end. Um, mm -hmm. So we did that every Tuesday, which was, uh, which was fun and useful. Um, but beyond that, like we did office hours um, where you sit with a partner and they kind of like grill you and you'd push back and forth on interesting things you're working on. 
and they like basically like ram the same thing <laughs> like of like you need like you got to grow you got to get more users you got to like um it's funny like how like uh routine the advice is and how often you find ways to ignore it <laughs> um as well but that was like the nuts and bolts of that experience but like the things we were doing i mean it wasn't rocket science it was like building stuff it was talking to users um and i think that i mean that's even like the yc mantra right is like build write code talk to users and i think they added exercise we did not do that we did not exercise <laughs> but like we just like worked <laughs> a ton um we talked to users we built things over and over and that, that was like the loop like that was a loop it was i mean again like it's super simple stuff but uh that's like the nuts and bolts of it so were you coding during that time yeah, or lots. oh yeah so amazing. okay so then then you then you kind of got that million dollars funding and um what happened next did you did you uh get get an office like what nope. you know how many staff did you bring in like how did you work so we, from, from yeah, so this is kind of where our remote journey started because we're 100% distributed. Like we can hire people from anywhere in the world, but that all started from then because like we were in the Bay Area, our friends, the people we trusted our early in, to be our early employees were back in Missouri or in Illinois because we're from the Midwest and we wanted to hire them, but they were like, we kind of got families. We're not going to move to the Bay Area. Um, and we were kind of the people, we were the kind of guys that like, we'd all sit at the same table. Right. And we would still like <laughs> talk to each other on like G chat, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> we, we already kind of had pieces of that. Um, but that's, I mean, that's where we started. We started hiring, uh, people we trusted that we know were solid. Um, and we started building kind of this remote culture. I think at that time, maybe we used like hip chat. Um, now it's like, uh, of course like Slack. But that was where all that kind of started. And at that point, now we were like managing people and hiring people, which was like a new part of like the journey, right? Um, and has certainly has not stopped. Like that's still a big part of our lives day to day now. Okay, in those early days, what was your hiring plan? What kind of people were you looking for and why? Um, in the early days, it's, it's important to find people you know and you trust that kind of match your culture and how you think so that you can kind of build because like for us like functionally speaking i mean fun you know from a functional point of view like why were you hiring them yeah so specifically specifically uh support was the first hire we had um mm -hmm. we were doing a lot of customer support talking to customers is a big part of our lives we wanted to hire someone to do that basically professional full-time um so that was the first person we hired then we hired two engineers uh, one was more of an infrastructure kind of jack of all trades. One was more product focused. Um, then we hired like some front end folks. I mean, it was a lot of it. I mean, out of the first 10 people we hired, there was maybe a couple support folks and the rest were engineers. Super interesting that that it, none of them were like marketing. No, um, we were or growth hacking. Yeah, we were we were fortunate that a lot of the stuff we were doing from YC and before YC was still like working. Um, mm -hmm. which is, I think, a pretty privileged and lucky-like situation. Um, so we didn't, I mean, we didn't have to, like, lean on that as much. Some of the stuff, I mean, also this is a little bit of, like, just how our business, like, worked. Like, we worked with partners, and if we built, and we had, like, relationships with them, and we talked with them and built stuff in conjunction with them, we kind of would get, like, access to their user base a bit, and it kind of grew a little bit that way. So there was a little bit of built-in, build the product, build the audience, a little bit of that going on. So, um, 
there wasn't yeah i don't believe i mean we did hire we did hire someone to uh in the early days to do marketing um um so i don't want to act like we didn't do any of that uh, but that was mostly around like content strategy we were writing like blog uh, posts about like productivity. That's a big thing that, I mean, our audience cares about is being productive. Um, so we leaned into that a lot. So it certainly wasn't just only support and engineering. There was one or two marketing hires in there as well. Now that I think about it. All right. Well, um, I mean, I guess I'll just, just let's finish up by just saying, what are your, what are your guys's plans for the future? Like, where do you want to take this thing? Or are you already there? <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, uh, we're not there yet. I mean, our, our big thing is we want to connect more and more apps together. We want more uh, users to know that they can automate stuff. Like I know your audience probably is pretty technical, so they already know this, right? But the rest mm. of the world needs to like understand that, you know, they can automate things and they can connect all of uh, these productivity apps together. Um, you know, for us, it's like we got to make things simpler to like accomplish that. Um, you know, I'm sure you, you're probably in, in the group of like, hey, you're a systems thinker. You know how like, oh, well, that'd be cool that I can put this Lego together with that thing over here. Like you can start connect the dots. But like a lot of other folks just like just knowing that you can like, oh, you can star an email um, in Gmail and you can add like a card in Trello. Like, oh, that's cool. I could think of some ways you could use that or, um, you know, you can draft a tweet in Slack, right? Um, and then you can have Zapier like publish, you know, that into Twitter, like all these like little workflows, like you could probably put those together yourself as you were like playing with the, your software and product. But like for us, it's like getting those sparks of inspiration and thought into more people, especially non-technical and non-systems thinkers, like is a really big part of our story, uh, over the next year. And, you know, for me personally, it's just a ton of like hiring. I mean, like that's a big, like building a team, like never underestimate like how important it is to be building a team. Like it's a big part of our lives. So hiring backend engineers, Python, JavaScript, React engineers, like we're doing, we'll be doing that all 2019, um, which is also a shout out if folks are looking for a remote gig. Like it don't matter where you live. <laughs> if you're awesome, we'd love to chat with you, but that'll be a big part of our lives. Just growing the team. Um, big part. All right. Well, um, thanks so much, Brian, for for talking to me on texting. It's been really excellent to talk to you. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Justin. Really appreciate it. Had a lot of fun.